good. God never said that. Today we start, uh, this is the last sermon in the series. It's been kind of a fun series. Um, so today we're going to wrap up with the idea of it doesn't matter what you believe or does it matter what you believe. But for some reason I'm on the wrong slide. There I am. Um, we've already talked about God wants you, we've, we've dealt with the issue, God wants you to be happy. There's four, some ideas that are kind of in our popular culture people just kind of believe. And one of them is, well, God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? The other one we talked about was God will never give you more than you can handle. And we looked at how that he does give us more than we can handle. Last week, Pastor Michael talked about that uh, the, the belief that it doesn't really matter what you do. And today we're going to talk about the belief that it doesn't really matter what you believe. And so it's been kind of fun. And, and today as we think about it, uh, let's think about that belief for a second. A lot of times uh, you hear it kind of echoed, you know, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And so I recommend if you hold to that to try it with a state trooper the next time you get pulled over. <laughs> I believe the speed limit was 85 in a school zone. All right. It sounds kind of good. I mean, the thing, the problem with these and why they're so popular is they just, they sound kind of good. They, they, uh, they make us feel better. Uh, they're these platitudes we hang on to that they don't really, they don't even really mean anything, but we say them, oh, there's a better place. Oh, others are looking down on us. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, surely God would never send anyone to the bad place, a place called hell. That could never happen, right? I mean, and so those are the kind of beliefs that we hold on to. And so I want to address that today. And uh, I know some of you guys are sitting there going, man, I've been going to church my whole life. And, and uh, so I got no problems with this issue. And I just want to say, hang on. You might. <laughs> we'll, we'll tie into a few things here in just a minute, okay? Uh, but just how do we deal with this issue? And we've got, you're going to have that conversation with people in your life. You know, the interesting thing is, that people generally don't have that many issues with God. I, I know we, we talk a lot about atheists and stuff, but it's really such a small percentage of our country and, and even the world. Uh, and maybe you lean into the atheist camp right now, and, and that's okay. We're a place where you can take the journey. Um, but uh, it does matter what you believe. That's what we want to talk about today. And how you feel and what, where you land ultimately matters. A lot of folks don't have an issue with God. You see a football player, you know, occasionally they, they used to take a knee or something in, thank God, or a basketball player, or, or they win an award, you know, and they would thank God. God isn't always the problem. It's Jesus. Jesus is the problem. And, and, and he's, some, for some people, he's not the problem. Some people have kind of, done the Walmart pick and choose what you want, uh, have Jesus any way you like it thing. And they've decided, well, I like what Jesus says about poverty and I like what Jesus says about forgiveness and I like what Jesus says about mercy. But they never actually read what Jesus said. And if you ever actually read what Jesus said, from an American perspective, you're going to have issues with Jesus. I'll just warn you. If you actually read the Gospel of John, and read the things Jesus said, you would walk away from John scratching your head and you would be going, I don't think I actually know Jesus at all, and you would be right. And I don't mean that's an insult. I'm just saying Jesus is someone we gotta, we got to come to know. So Jesus said this in John 14, 6, and this is the main problem with Jesus. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus, man. So if you think you can believe anything you want, Here's Jesus saying, I am the 
only option. Okay? Say what? That, was it in your mini-sermon? All right, Justin. I'm, I'm sorry, man. Next time I'll, I'll coach you or something. I'll say, just, just do it, and if it's wrong, I'll mock you later. Maybe we could do that. <laughs> That's what I do with Steve. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of folks, we're, we're in this new-agey time of history in America, in the Western world, not just America. And it's kind of this, I, it's a Walmart faith, I call it. You know, you just go and you walk through uh, the forgiveness section of wall, of, of wall faith and you pick off what you like. God, God will just forgive everything and it doesn't matter what I do. And, and you go to the, the toy section and you say, well, God just wants me to be happy. And you pull something off of that shelf there at wall faith. And, and, and that's how America does their faith today. And so they go to Buddhism and Buddhism's got some meditation things, and, 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 and they like to empty themselves, and the idea of relaxation and inner peace appeals to them. And uh, the thing about all religions is there's usually something true in all of them. The Bible didn't say Satan was going to appear as an angel of gross. He said Satan will appear as an angel of light. He's always going to have truth in the things that he presents. But Buddhism doesn't have forgiveness. It doesn't. It has a thing called karma, and some of it moves into some of the Hindu faiths. What's karma? Karma teaches that ultimately you're going to get exactly what you deserve in life. How does that sound? I don't even want anything to do with that. I mean, seriously. Really? And so, you know, but some folks will go to Buddhism and pick some of the things out they like. And by the way, I love meditation, but I don't agree with the Eastern meditations because they... That kind of meditation is empty your mind. And so just a pastor warning his people, when you empty your mind, you create a void for something to fill. So you, if you're going to fill it, you've got to fill it with Holy Spirit, God's Word with God. If you don't, you open yourself up to other things. You're like, what are the other things? Another sermon. I'll have to get to that later. I don't have time to get into all this today, okay? So... Islam. Islam is one that's created a lot of controversy today. People, some people love it, some people hate it, those kind of things. Islam, I don't think any American would like Islam. Why? Because the God of Islam does not like you. Doesn't like anybody, really. It's a very works-based religion. In fact, in fact, the way it's set up, if you're a Muslim, you have to be very, very good, obey all the rules, all these kind of things, and you don't even know if you're going to get in until it's too late to do anything about getting in. It stinks, but that's my opinion. I'm not trying to insult or disrespect anybody. That was just me overexpressing myself, okay? You may have friends who are Muslims. I do and have had over the years. I... I ran McDonald's and I had people who worked with me all over the world. What amazed me is, no matter what their religion is, I found out most of them were just like backslidden Baptists. They didn't practice it. So they believed it, but they didn't actually do anything about it. And if that's you, we'll talk later. All right, so. But the, I think the thing that really infects the church today is the New Age philosophies. This idea that I can pick and choose. I'm, it, it, it truly hurts my heart to find out how many professing Christians today actually read the Bible on a regular basis. It's less than one in four. And that hurts me because I don't know how you know God without a Bible. And I know some people say, well, I've, I've experienced Him, I feel Him, I watch Supernatural. <laughs> and that's exactly the problem. And so... Um, 
My, my point is that there's one religion that offers forgiveness. There's one way of life that actually offers something outside of you. If you think about every other religion, everything comes from you. In Buddhism and Islam, in Buddhism you have to find inner peace. In Islam you have to put forth all of the effort. In the New Ageism, you are the source and end result, you are your own God. Only Christianity offers God who will help you from the outside in. Only Christianity offers a God who offers to move inside of you and spend the rest of your life with you. Only Christianity offers real forgiveness for real sin. Now I know when we talk about Christians, and I guess in all fairness, uh, I should state the obvious, I'm a Christian. I know you're like, wow, I didn't know. I also know that I'm speaking to a room that predominantly holds to a Christian worldview in some way, shape, or form. So I acknowledge that, and my intent is not to disrespect. But uh, maybe it's because I'm old, or uh, I think there comes a time when it's we should disagree without freaking out. And so I'm just saying, if you're sitting there believing, it doesn't matter what I believe, I disagree. And here's what I would like to ask you to do. I'd like you to consider Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about ordinary faith. I mean, yeah, I'd like you to consider our church. I think we have some things that uh, we can do and so forth, but that's not what I'm asking you to consider. I'm not asking you to consider any way, shape, or form of any kind of religion. I'm not asking you to consider a denomination. I'm just asking you to consider Jesus Christ. And I know you've probably met a few Christians in your life. It's kind of like Forrest Gump said. Christians, well, he said life, but Christians are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The first one you meet, love, peace, patience. They support you. They're with you. The next one you meet, hadn't changed their hairstyle since the 70s. Their Bible sounds like a foreign language, and they're mad at you, and you don't know why. You're trying not to laugh because you know people like that, and they might be sitting next to you. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not even asking you to consider me. Here's what you need to know. Here's what I am, okay? Well, you're a pastor at Ordinary Faith. No, no. I'm a finger who points at Jesus. That's all I am. Never get enamored with a finger. That's, that's one of the problems we have in our country and in our world and in Western culture today. Some finger gets out there and points at Jesus Christ and does a good job of it, and we start to worship the finger, buy all the fingers books, and put him on pedestals and, and platforms and hold him up so Satan can knock him down. Then he gets knocked down and we lose our faith. Okay? We need to fix that problem, but beyond the scope of today. I'm a finger pointing at Jesus Christ. I don't have the answer, but I know the answer. His name is Jesus. Now, how do you get to know Jesus? Well, as I get into the sermon, this is for everybody. If you're sitting there going, well, I know all this. I, t I took this in Sunday school. Yeah, but you didn't listen then either, so listen now, okay? Here's what you do. Get in the Word of God. Here's how to get to know Jesus. Get in the Word of God. Read the thing, please. And I know you're sitting there going, well, I don't understand it. That's okay. That's okay. Read it anyway. It will interpret you. It will do things in you. So get in the Word of God and get God's Word in you. That's two different things. 
Get in God's Word, get God's Word in you. Why? Because reading the Bible for someone who has a broken, messed up lens of abuse or anger or whatever, you're just going to twist what you read into something that's going to make your life even harder. So when I say get into God's Word, yes, we need to do that. That's where it begins. But also get God's Word into you. Let God's Word change your lens. Change the way you see things, okay? Next thing you need to do, learn to pray. I know, it's a four-letter word. Pray. And, 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 and we, we are really, well, maybe it's just the, the stream that I come from and the theological stream I come from that it's so much easier to do than it is to pray. But I'm going to tell you, if you're ever going to get your lenses fixed and actually see God in His Word and meet Jesus Christ in His Scriptures or in life or in any other capacity, you, you need that, <clears throat> excuse me, need to learn to pray and talk to your Father and hear what He has to say. And then worship. I can't overemphasize the importance of worship. You have to connect with the presence of God. Our kids are talking about today, they're talking about Moses in the first through fourth grade and how that when he got in the presence of God, it changed his life. You want your life to change. What you've been doing isn't working, so learn how to get in God's presence and let God's presence change you. We become the things that we behold in life. If you do these things, if you'll get in God's Word, get God's Word, and you learn to pray and learn and worship. And one more thing, don't do it alone. I know you're in Wyoming and we cowboy up, right? Well, even cowboys have friends, so get one or two or ten and talk about what God's doing in your life. Talk and share. You know why you need to do that? Because sometimes you come up with some crazy stuff. I do too. And, and I need to bounce things off of people. I may even spout some crazy stuff today. It happens. And sometimes we just need to, to talk to people and let folks speak into us. And the great thing about being a Christian, you can be a believer for 15 seconds and you might have an understanding of God that I've never considered before. And so I, I, that's the one thing I love about Christianity. There, there is no advanced class. We're, we're all kind of in the foundations period. We're all learning together. And so some things when you consider Jesus, think about those kind of things. Consider also the ministry of Jesus. I want to read this passage to you out of Mark chapter 2. When the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, listen to this question, why does he eat with such scum? Isn't that harsh? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The people no one else liked, Jesus spent time with. The people that the religious called the scum, Jesus hung out with. What blows my mind is that he even got invited to the parties. Seriously, what? I mean, Jesus must have been the kind of guy that people are, there was just something unique about him. He's the rabbi. He's teaching God's word and principles throughout the nation and, and tax collectors and the people who are the prostitutes, all these things on the bottom rung of society who everybody despises, they have enough comfort with Jesus to invite him to their parties. And he goes. I think that's incredible. My, my point that I'm trying to make is um, Jesus walked the streets of ordinary towns and he loved people. He healed people. He changed their lives. 
and he didn't let anyone stop him. It wasn't, if you think about it, I know the miracles are cool, but if you think about it, it really looks kind of ordinary. Every day he got up, spent time with his father, took a walk, changed some lives, had dinner with somebody, changed some lives, talked to the disciples, changed some lives, prayed to the father, got a little rest, did it again the next day. It was pretty simple. No rocket science. I think one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to back up, backtrack that just for a second. I had a thought there, but uh, it ran away. Bye, I thought. I miss you. One town, he turned water into wine for a wedding. One town, he raised someone from the dead. Uh, a couple places he did that. My favorite's the widow of Nain when he raises her son from the dead. That is an awesome story, but don't have time to tell it. The Pharisees, though, the religious people, the, the judgmental folks, they looked at Jesus. They could not argue with the results of what he was doing. They just wanted him to stop doing it. They just wanted him to stop. They hated the fact that he could come in and, and open blind eyes or, or heal a lame person on a Sabbath, and they couldn't do any of that stuff. They had no power because they were religious. They didn't have a relationship with the Father. And so they had no power, and they just wanted Jesus to stop. And what I love about Jesus and what I want you to consider about the ministry of Jesus is he never stopped. And he hasn't stopped yet. You understand that? He hasn't stopped yet. The reason I'm talking today is because Jesus showed up at my house one night and worked through me, turned my marriage around, turned my life around, got a hold of me. In this room, this is a room full of miracles. This church is a church full of miracles. You understand there are, there are marriages in this room that have been saved by the miraculous touch and love of Jesus Christ, averted from divorce because Jesus showed up through the hands of someone else. There are lives in this room that have been saved from addiction, whether it's sex or drugs or whatever it was. Jesus showed up, set them free, did the miraculous thing that Jesus does, and they attend ordinary faith. They're part of what we do in this community. This is what Jesus does. There are diseases that have been healed. Jesus has shown up. He still does miracles, okay? So when you think about religion, I want you to know that Christianity, real Christianity, Bible-based Christianity that, that has its lens corrected by Jesus Christ, realizes that Jesus Christ has never stopped, he never will stop, as long as there's a hand willing to say, Jesus, use my hands, Jesus will do miracles, okay? Change lives, all right? Consider Jesus. For you younger folks looking at the religious landscape today, and it all looks dead. Real Christianity is not dead. It's alive. Okay? Just telling you. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Um, consider the resurrection of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Michael talked about sin. And sin is one of those bummer subjects, right? The problem that the church has with sin today is that we don't, talk about it and put it in the right light we make sin too weak we call it mistakes i blew it oh i had a bad attitude that day whatever what you need to understand you will never understand the magnitude of god's grace until you properly comprehend the terrible power of sin if you don't get that you're never going to see how good His grace is. Seriously, as a culture, we just keep making everything less and less sinful. 
less and less wrong. We, instead of saying it's wrong, we'd rather say that's who I am rather than say it's wrong. And in doing so, we make God's grace unnecessary. And by making God's grace unnecessary, we land in a place where we cannot find forgiveness because we're telling our brains that there's nothing to forgive, but our heart is buried under the weight of our sin. And so, Jesus Christ dies on a cross. And I love talking about that as a picture of God's incredible love. But do you also understand that Jesus' death on the cross is a picture of God's wrath on sin? The most powerful picture to demonstrate God's love is also the most powerful picture to demonstrate God's anger toward sin, how much He hates it. Now, you're probably sitting there and, and, and there are others, maybe the thought is running through your mind, well, yeah, but God's sin, but He loves me, so He's got to accept me and I've got sin. If you had a, a family member that you were really close to and they had a terminal illness and you love them, would you also love the terminal illness? No, you would hate it because it's threatening to take away from you the very thing you love and need in your life. And so it's the same way with sin. Here's Father God. And we've got to get to know God as Father, but that's a different topic. I'll get into later this year, I promise, in depth. But we've got to get to know Father God and see that when Father God looks on us, He loves us so much that anything that assaults us and tries to destroy us, He hates that thing. And so in order to resolve the worst problem we have as human beings, God found a solution. His solution was off the charts nuts. He became the creation. You carpenters in the house, you ever become the house you built? Artists in the house, you ever become the painting you painted? You're like, I don't have the power to do that. Well, Papa does. And so Father comes and He becomes us, lives perfect. Jesus Christ comes and is born of a virgin. He's not under the sin-filled bloodline of Adam. He's the second Adam. Actually, He's the last Adam. And He comes and He never falls for sin. He never surrenders to sin. He always submits to Father God in everything He does. He lives a perfect life and sin-filled humans hated Him for it. That's what you need to encounter. It wasn't like the cross was some mellow thing that happened some Friday. They go, oh, there's Jesus, we don't like him, let's, let's nail him to a cross. Yeah. Hated him. Jesus freaked people out. He really did. Because he was so different. I, my, one of my favorite stories is Peter and Jesus fishing. And, and uh, Jesus tells Peter, well, Jesus had used Peter's boat kind of as a pulpit. And then Jesus tells Peter, hey man, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, I did it all night, but hey, you know, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> hoping Jesus would take it back, but Jesus doesn't do that. So they go out fishing and Jesus, Peter catches the biggest catch of fish he's ever caught in his life. And it blows my mind. R.C. Sproul nails it to the wall in his book, The Holiness of God. Peter turns around from that catch of fish and he looks at Jesus Christ and he hits his knees and says, get away from me, I am a sinful man. That is the weirdest reaction to the circumstance I could ever imagine. It is an indicator of how unique and different Jesus was without sin. And so God sent this son, and this son died for us on a cross. He was brutalized. He was condemned. He was 
about to be murdered. And what does he say as he's being nailed to a cross? Father, forgive them. No other faith has a Savior like that. You understand that, right? No other faith has a Savior like that. And Jesus says, I'm the only way. So I'm telling you, if you're going to think about what you believe in, I say, follow the one who died for you. That seems to make sense. But don't just, don't just pick and choose out of Christianity the things you like and throw away the things you don't like. Instead, totally surrender to Christ as the Lord and Savior. When you think about Jesus Christ, too, and His resurrection, I think it's amazing to me that people... Nobody argues the existence of Jesus really anymore. There's enough historical evidence from so many different sources to prove that he lived. But a lot of folks freak out about his resurrection. Because he got nailed to a cross, he died, but he got over it, which is cool. The idea that 11 disciples who were, too, who were, who were like pure cowards on Friday, that by some time on Sunday had developed enough courage to go take on a squadron of Roman centurions and steal the body of Jesus and then propagate a lie that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and then die for the lie with all of their lives. They all laid them down. That idea is kind of ridiculous. I love what <clears throat> I am. Uh, I love what one of the guys said, Peter, John, one of them said in Acts 3.15, he said, um, I don't know, this is, shows the transition in their thinking because when Jesus died, they're all hiding out. But in Acts 3.15, I love, I think it was what Peter said. He said, you kill the author of life. He's saying this to the Jews. It may have been the Pharisees. He says, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this fact. I just love the boldness. I'm just saying, if it didn't happen, there's no way Peter would have said it. A lot of witnesses to Christ's life. So, it's pretty exciting. So I just want you to think about the resurrection of Jesus. It kind of changed the world. Again, let me, before I get into my last point, let me reiterate this consider Jesus thing. Don't let anybody turn you from Jesus. <clears throat> don't, don't let me turn you from Jesus. I'm a, I'm just a finger point at Christ. Don't let a church do it. Everybody gets hurt in church. It's just a fact of life. You can call it right, you can call it wrong. I think God uses it to mature us myself. I will say this, and I mean it with love, and this is to the believers in the room. You can't love Christ and hate His bride, bro. That don't work. That don't work. You can't be my friend and hate my wife. Sorry. We kind of got a thing going on. So, you got issues with the bride. I get it. I'm in that club. Been there. Honestly, seriously, I could tell you stories. You'd be like, really? Steve's probably got one or two. Michael's got every... Work through the issues is all I'm saying. Because the bride's important. The bride needs you. The bride is here to be Jesus' hands on this earth. So let's work that out and figure it out, okay? So consider Jesus. The last thing I want you to consider is just the eternal message of Jesus Christ. And this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. I'd love to tell you that I'm almost done, but I'm really, that was just introduction. <clears throat> you're, you're so excited, so excited. It's a good deal. 
I just want you to consider the message of Jesus. I want to read Romans chapter 3, verse 22, because this is where Paul captures uh, the meat of it. He says, uh, when we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Do you hear this? We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've believed prior to this. You have to change your mind, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that moves you into the gospel. What does faith mean? What does it mean to have faith? Well, because a lot of folks think that faith is just a mental assent. Oh, yeah, sure, I believe Jesus is who he said he was, and so bam, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. Did I say no? No. Faith means follow. Faith means follow. Okay? And so if I believe in something, I submit to it. I follow it. I step into it. That's what faith means. Okay? If you, if you, if it's anything other than that for you, if it's really just a, a mental ascent for you, that's not actually faith. So I'm telling you, put your faith in Christ. Like if you were jumping out of an airplane, the faith you would put in the parachute. Like the faith you're putting in that chair right now. If that chair goes down, you go down. Okay? Which would be hilarious. <laughs> if it were Justin's. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You can't add anything to it. You can't add anything to that. It is what it is. Faith is what changes the story. Faith is what makes you right. Living right does not make you right. This is important. Paul never said, the just shall live by righteousness. He said, the just shall live by faith. Faith will make you righteous righteousness will not make you righteous doing the right thing will not make you righteous okay so faith has got to change your life and that's something we need to understand when i talk about it doesn't matter what you believe your beliefs in fact i'll say this i I say it all the time uh what you are actually living what you believe right now so if your life is in a place that's not good that's filled with unrighteousness you've got some guilt and shame going on it's time to address the beliefs that are driving the life Now, what we normally do is we try to address the behaviors that are ruining the life, okay? Like I said, the just don't live by righteousness. They live by faith. So once you address the faith, the belief that's driving the actions, you'll address all the problems at the same time. I mean that. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is talking about. That is exactly what the gospel is. Because following Jesus, considering Jesus, isn't about a religion, okay? Now, before you go all amen on me, let me offend you first. What I mean by this, I hear what people say all the time. Well, following Jesus is about relationship, not religion. And a lot of those people are people who have neither religion nor relationship. Okay? They just don't like church, and so they're saying that. Okay? Well, I, I don't care if you don't like church. I'm not really cra- a church fan either. I like worship. I like hanging out with believers. But when it comes to like formal things, that's not my bag. You can tell by looking at me. He, he's not about the formal stuff, you know? So I wear t-shirts and flip-flops to weddings and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> the problem with religion though is religion is all about me. What I do. What I can earn. And religion's always asking the question, am I good enough? And that's the problem with works-based religions, is it's always, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Is God going to be pleased with me? Am I going to get into heaven? Am I going to get the things that I want? Can I do enough good to manipulate God and help me win the lottery? I mean, that's really what religion is. 
Well, here's, here, let me, let me make it so easy for you. Do you like it easy? I like it easy. You're never good enough. Never. Not in you. Not in your strength. Because God's Word says in Isaiah 64, 6, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. We're like, um, have you ever worked with oily rags, you know, like dropped a transmission or something? Or, you know, I did one time. It wasn't on purpose. But anyway, <clears throat> you got all covered in oil and you had some rags, but they weren't quite enough. And you're trying to clean yourself off with oily rags and you're just making it worse. Or maybe one of your kids did it with dirt and mud from outside or something even worse uh, but we won't even mention in this sermon. And you're trying to clean them up and it's just getting worse. That's what it is to try and please God with your own righteous deeds. You're just making it worse. Okay? And so there's an answer, and the answer is faith, and faith leads us into relationship. Now, what is relationship with God? Because relationship with God isn't going to church. People in relationship with God do go to church or get gather with other believers in many different ways, but relationship isn't going to church and it isn't tithing or giving money. Relationship says, God loves me. God loves me. Right now. You understand that? Right now, I don't care what you've got going on in your life. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care what your rap sheet is in heaven. God loves me. You. And if Christians ever learn to just let God love them and just meditate and think about God's love for them, they'll stop being so cranky. So God loves you. Relationships, God, relationships says God accepts me. Now, I'm building something here, so be patient with me. God loves me. God accepts me. Think about this. I have acceptance from God. God approves of me. Now, he may not approve of the things I do. That's a separate issue. But God approves of me. Now, I would say righteousness is critical for the Christian life. But I would also say that righteousness is a response. If you are trying to get God's approval and acceptance by being good, that will never work. And every time something goes wrong, you'll think God's mad at you. And I know people like that, and that's probably some of you struggling with that right now. You're going through some difficult times, and you think, well, God's punishing me for something that I did. Well, let me tell you something. All of God's punishment, if you're a child of God, if you believe... All of the punishment that would be on all your mistakes is put on Jesus, okay? You may be suffering consequences from past mistakes. Different issue. God's not punishing you, okay? He accepts you in Christ. And so it, it's, it's our effort to try and get that acceptance is driving us crazy. That's not relationship. That's religion. So Jesus died to give us relationship, God loves you. He doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you because He is love. It is His nature to love. He can never stop loving. He is love. He doesn't just define love. He created love. The validator of love. Everything about love comes from Him. And so He is love. And that's why He loves you. It's not the things you do. So if you go out here today and you mess up really bad, God is not going to ding you some love points. 
You're not going to mess with God's love. He's not going to love you less because your life may look worse than this life over here. Who's to even judge if it's worse? God's not going to love you more. You go out and feed the hungry children, which you should go talk to the compassion table for sure. But it's not like God's going to go, oh, they did something nice. I really love them today. You may do that with your kids, but God doesn't do that with you. No, your, your love for your kids never changes. Your like for them changes all the time, but your love for them never. Right? That's, that's kind of right, okay? All right. <laughs> Every now and then I have brain cramps, so it just comes with age. So I want to throw this in before I get into my last few verses. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I did a study this week just because I was curious. I was working on the issue of repentance. And actually, uh, we're doing a series on Romans 8 starting next Sunday, so it kind of spun into this. And I began to asked the question, how much did Paul talk about repentance? Well, that's a humbling question. Because the word metanoia, which is the Greek word for repentance, Paul uses one time in all of his letters. One time Paul used it directly. And he wasn't talking about anyone but himself. He was talking about how he had changed his mind about something. And I'm like, what does that mean, Father? Because Paul talks about placing your faith in Christ, believing in Christ. And so my brain is now smoking because I'm sitting in my thinking chair, which is also my doing nothing chair and my leather chair and the chair I push people out of if they come over and sit in it, that chair. <laughs> sitting in my thinking chair and I'm thinking about this, what does this mean? And um, <clears throat> I, re I remembered some things and realized some things. One, I, I realized this. I've preached this for years, and, and, it, and God brought it back. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. That means if, if you repent, if you, and so if we use that one definition that's been used for years where repentance is turning away from, then I have to have faith in something. But here's the realization I had as I'm thinking through this. Because the repentance has become a real big discussion in Bible-believing circles over the last 30 years, ever since John MacArthur wrote the, the book about being ashamed of the gospel. And so repentance became a big issue, and I, I began to realize that you could repent or turn from your sin and not actually turn to Christ. That was sobering. I began to realize that there may be people out there who are like, because if you turn from your sin, you don't too turn to Christ, you're actually just turning into your own flesh. You're saying, I can, I, I can do this. I can be better. I can be more righteous. I can act better. All these kinds of things I can do. And it puts all the power on the flesh. The problem with that is Paul like totally demolishes the power of the flesh in Romans 8 and in Galatians chapter 5. He just, he hates the flesh. I mean, hates the power of it. And here, if you don't turn from to Christ, from sin to Christ, you're actually just turning into your own ability and strength. You're turning into the flesh and you're walking by the flesh and not by the spirit, which we'll get into next week. What's, what am I trying to tell you? I'm telling you, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the natural consequence of that is you turn away from whatever sin's going on in your life. Let me help you out here. So we all struggle with sin from time to time. Why do we struggle with sin? We struggle with sin 
because of our need for love, acceptance, and approval. That's why we struggle with sin. And we struggle with sin because we turn to sin. Maybe it's an immoral relationship, whether it's physical or emotional. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just gossip or complaining. Maybe it's working too much. Maybe it's greed. I don't know. We turn to it because we're trying to get from that sin something we can only get from God. Love, acceptance, and approval. So if you're struggling with sin right now, Anything in your life, this is why. You're trying to get from that something you can only get from God. So what's Paul's answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He's saying turn to Christ, place your faith in Christ. Faith, you follow what you believe in and you turn to Christ for everything. Every, say everything. Everything you need, particularly love, acceptance, and approval. In that turning to, you're also turning from. So I think I understand now why Paul didn't talk about repentance a lot in his letters. His audience was primarily Greek, and he wanted people to understand that if they would turn to Christ, they would turn from everything else. Does that make sense? So let me read you some scriptures, and I'll wrap this up. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I got three of them, so bear with me. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we can be made right with God through Christ. Here's the pop quiz. Who made you right with God through Christ? Who did that? God. Let's try it again. Who made you right with, with Him through Christ? Okay, that's good. You got it right the second time. Good job. Okay, 1 John 4.10. You just weren't ready for that, I know. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Does God love you? Yes. Okay, we're good. You're following me. Okay, First John 5, 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. For we, for we know... We love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Your Father loves you. You see all of this, right? Okay? Who did all this? God. God loves you. God sent His Son. God crucified His Son for you. God punished sin for you. God resurrected His Son for you. God, God, God did it all. If you're sitting there thinking that Jesus Christ makes it possible for you to get to heaven, I disagree. I would say you are wrong. I would say God has done everything. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I think God has done 60%, and I need to do about 40, then I would say you have no hope. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I think God did 99%, and I still got to knock out my one, I would also say, you have no hope. Either God did it all, or we are condemned. You with me? Does that make sense? So here's what I'm going to ask you. Here's my closing question. God's done it all. Is it done for you? Amen. If you're sitting there and it's not done for you, I'm here to tell you all roads do not lead to the same place. Jesus talked about a narrow path. 
The narrow path isn't a path of religion or works. A narrow path is a path of faith, of relationship. A a path where steps are taken with God and with Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's not a path filled like anybody else fills their path. It's a different way. And you could live this day forward not trying anymore. Not trying to get accepted. Not trying to get approved of. Not trying to be loved. You could walk out of this place. I, pr- I promise you this is true. You could walk out of this place today knowing God loves you. I'm accepted. He approves of me. And this message isn't just for you if you're an unbeliever. So many Christians live their lives trying to get God's acceptance and approval. And they have it. They have it. They're trying to get into a room they're already in. And they're going nuts. Okay? And so I'm telling you, you could walk out of this place today loved, accepted, and approved of. That could be yours. How did I do that? Believe. 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 What's that look like, man? Belief should fill every part of our life. Belief should fill every part. It should fill every relationship in our life. I talked a while ago about sin and how that if we're struggling with sin, it's because we're struggling with love and acceptance and all those kind of things. It implies to relationships as well. We need to have faith in our relationships. What does that mean? Well, let's say that, that I get crossways with somebody. I mean, it never happens, but if it did, right? Why am I crossways? Sin. I'm trying to get love and acceptance or something from the wrong place. What if I approached the relationship with faith and I saw them as my father saw them? Do you realize that's what Paul was saying in Corinthians when he said, I don't, know, I don't know anyone after the flesh. I only know them after the spirit. He's seeing people as God sees them. He's seeing warriors of the kingdom, not, not whining, angry people that are bugging him or whatever he was struggling with. And so you need to step into faith and move faith into every part of your life. It needs to be a response. Your righteousness needs to be a response to God's love for you. So it does matter what you believe. So believe. And if you're struggling with believing, I've been there. Here's what you do. Father, help me believe. It's that simple. He's such a good father. He's, such, he's so merciful. I know a lot of people read the Old Testament and freak out and think God's tough, but I'm telling you what, do you realize time after time after time after time, God just keeps coming back to Israel saying, okay, let's do this again. Time and time again, that's the heart of God, heart of mercy. As my old friend Cecil Johnson used to say, he's not a God of a second chance, he's a God of another chance. So ask him, Lord, help me believe. Is that where you are today? Struggling with your faith? That's not uncommon. That's not uncommon. I struggle with my faith. There are times that I have situations that I don't know how they match up with the goodness of God. And sometimes my prayer sounds like this. God, I know you're good. But it sure doesn't feel like it. I've had those prayers many times. Do you know what I found? God always shows up. And a bad day is just a bad day. That's all. And when God shows up, He rocks my world every time. And He will yours. Is it done for you? That's my final question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know the spiritual states in this room. 
and I don't need to. So, Lord, I do like Jesus. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So I do what he did. I stand up and say, hey, we're here for you. On my right-hand side and left-hand side, Michael and Lori and Justin and Angela are going to be on tables, and they're ready to pray with people. They're ready to help you get your faith issues prayed through. I also offer myself. I usually stand at the back door, but you can just let me know. And I would be overjoyed at the opportunity to help you with your struggles in faith. And I would do it in a very loving and kind way. I would never judge you. Father, every person that's here, I pray that they have their faith solid in Christ, that they believe. And I pray, Lord, that if they don't yet, and they're struggling with things, I ask you, Lord, that they, they would stick around. They would wait. They would have conversation. I pray, Lord, that you would help us at Ordinary Faith to really love this community and show them what it looks like when Jesus is in town. In his name I pray. Amen.